I want to do something together in a collective nature that might seem odd at first, and in and, and due time you'll understand why. So on the count of three, uh, in, in a moment, I want us to all collectively sigh together, okay? Kind of one of those, ah, all right? One, two, three. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. And I'm going to be surprised if I don't hear a few more of those. Ah, really? Yeah, Luke 3, 23 through 38. Um, if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, maybe kind of show it to them so that they can see why we all side together. I'm guessing that for those of you that were here at the beginning of the year, uh, and we did the Bible reading plan with the Bible app together, that on those mornings when you opened it or whenever it is that you do it, and you see what your reading assignment is, and you push that link, and something like this comes up, it's probably a, ah, really? There's probably uh, some parts in Leviticus and, and Numbers and, and other places where it's this repeated, repeated pattern of names and cubits and, and all of these things, and you're just like, what on earth is this in here for? And why should I spend my time and effort reading it and, and trying to pronounce these names and and getting something out of it. And so this is what we have on our plate uh, together uh, this morning. And so now that the collective sigh is out of the way, uh, let's dig into this and, and learn together as best we can. I wanted to start with uh, a story from a novel called The Poisonwood Bible. Uh, the, the author's name is Barbara Kingsolver. Uh, and she describes an angry encounter between a Baptist missionary named Nathan Price and a tribal chieftain in the African Congo. Uh, the missionary has been growing impatient with the tribe's unwillingness to adopt the customs of Western Christianity. Finally, in exasperation, he accuses their chief of being childish and ignorant. But rather than responding in anger, the chief calmly answers the missionary by appealing to the wisdom of his ancient tribe. Ah, Tata Price, he said in his deep, sighing voice, you believe we are Moana, your children, who knew nothing until you came here. Tata Price, I'm an old man who learned from other old men. I could tell you the name of the great chief who instructed my father and all the ones before him, but you would have to know how to sit down and listen. There are 122. Since the time of our Mankulu, we have made our laws without help from the white men. The chief did not respond in anger because he was rooted in his family tree. He knew who he was. He knew who he was because he knew who his father was and his father's father all the way back for more than a hundred generations. 
by preserving the memory of his ancestors, that he was connected to the past and the wisdom of the past. And so I wanted, I thought that was a great little short capture of what it is that we're after when we study a passage like this. And so if you would, if you're able, would you stand with me as we read through Luke 3, 23 through 38? And I will have you know that I listened. You can do that on your Bible app. I listened to this passage probably no less than 50 times this week to make as few as errors as possible as I read through this list of what I believe is 72 names. So if you chuckle on some pronunciation, sorry, I'm going to do my best, but let's honor God as we read his word together. Luke 3, 23. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mattat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Hesli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Joannan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Urim, the son of Metat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elikim, the son of Malay, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nishan, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serub, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Heber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphasad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and the son of God. You may be seated. I'm a little better than I thought I would. Um, typically in my sermons, if I'm going to have um, uh, more heavy application, like specific application. Um, you'll know this if you're regulars. We'll usually go through the text, unpack that, and then I'll kind of end with application. But because of the nature of the passage today, I was, I was reminded of an author that I've read several books from, and maybe you've seen his TED Talks or some other things like that. His name is Simon Sinek, and where he was 
popularized, this isn't a Bible scholar, in fact, I don't even know if he's a believer, but there's a book that he popularized or that he became popular from called Start With Why. So in a conversation, in a, in a business dialogue, you start with why, and that gets people to, to lean in. Um, and so I wanted to start with why this morning, start with why. Why, why take the time to, to study this long list of names and, and, and use this hour, hour and 15 minutes that we have together to, to focus on these verses? I'm going to be pretty, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing if we polled the audiences at churches around America today, or probably even in the last six or 12 months, that there's probably very few times of going through a list of 72 names. Now, some of you, as I look around the room, this is going to be a a refresher, okay? Uh, You'll recall a few of what I'm about to show you uh, from our Nehemiah series where Ezra and Nehemiah were repetitious with detail, uh, names, numbers, and those kinds of things. And I really thought hard that week going into it, this is like the sixth time in these two books that we've encountered something like this. How can I do it in a fresh way that grabs people? Um, And how I did that was to call it what's in a name. Maybe some of you will remember this. Can I ask you a question? Do the names on that wall matter? Right? Yesterday was Veterans Day, and if there's, if there's veterans in here, thank you uh, deeply for your service. Uh, my wife and I are both veterans, and we're honored to have served our country in that way, but these names matter, don't they? And so we, we build a, a monument uh, to, to, to celebrate and remember those names and, and what they gave, which in this case was the ultimate sacrifice uh, for their country and for the freedom of others, right? How about these names? You know what this is? These names matter, don't they? These weren't serving in Vietnam or in World War II or in Afghanistan. These were, by and large, people like you and I minding their own business, and now they're on a plaque and a memorial somewhere. But their names matter right? Or this. Don't look too hard here. This was just a a random one that I grabbed from the internet. So like, Sandra, your mom's not on there as far as I know. Do these names matter? Now, if that was one of your family members on there, then that would probably matter more to you than than to me, possibly. But those names matter, right? That's part of your history. That's part of your lineage. That's part of your tradition. That's your mom, brother, sister, close friend, or relative. What about this one? 
Does the name that's going to be on that tombstone matter? It better. I know I'm much younger than I look. Does the name on the tombstone matter? Yes. We have infinite value and worth because we're created in God's image. Uh, And thus, we are to live out and obey, uh, live our lives in accordance with what we have in Scripture. And this 1978 uh, uh, to to wherever that is going to be in the future uh, is my obligation, duty, privilege, and honor uh, to live in accordance with God's principles and statutes and, and to attempt to be everything that I can be in the name of Christ. That name matters. It matters to me. It matters to my wife and kids. Maybe it matters to a few of you. Think about your name being there. And think about five or 10 or 20 or 100 generations from now. Does the name on that tombstone matter? Now, I'm not typically one for emotionalism or emotional ploys. You've heard me say before that my life is pretty much a five out of 10 on everything. I don't whisper. I don't get loud. I don't, I mean, occasionally. This isn't an emotional ploy in the sense to just kind of grab you for the sake of grabbing you. I want you to understand the weight to, to the topic of today but my, by, by means and through means in which might mean something or have more significant to us today, like the memorials, we're seeing a tombstone. Now, while it's not exactly the same thing, that's what's happening when we encounter passages like this in the Bible. And so essentially what we're saying when I open that Bible app, you know, that random Wednesday morning, and I see what my assignment is, and I click that app, and I go, ah. Oh. I'm basically saying, those names don't matter. That information doesn't matter. It's lesser than, in some way, shape, or form. And, and what I'm charging you with out of the gate today is that these names matter. These names matter. And so as we work our way through this passage I'd ask you, I'd implore you to give as much attention to this as you do any other type of message that we give. Amen? All right. I want to start with sort of some general context, some general observations about this passage, and I'm going to start with the Captain Obvious statement. Why, why, why this? Why, why study this? Because all Scripture is... 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, 
so that the man of God may be equipped, the man or woman of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. What scripture? All scripture, right? Not some scripture, not the passages that I like, not the stories and characters that I know, not just the stories and characters that I know, but all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, okay? All scripture would include this list of 72 names or those paragraphs after paragraphs of cubits of this and cubits of that that we find in the Old Testament. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching. If you've been around here long, you've heard me say this over and over and over again. We believe and teach that God's word is inherent, inerrant and infallible. Uh, this is the only true source of life that we have to lean on and live our lives by. And that's what we believe and teach here. Uh, second, I want to bring the passage up and... and uh, Walter gave me a joke that I should have probably done earlier, but it, he said that I should tell you guys that for the next 72 weeks, we're going to unpack each name on this list and see what the <laughs> historical significance was. But I won't do that. Um, but I do want to pull in the passage uh, a handful of things that I think really stick out and we can take with us. Uh, the first two is this phrase, about 30 years of age, uh, and then a, a little bit later in the same verse, it says, as was supposed, and I want to look a little bit uh, closer at that. So first, <clears throat> when he began his ministry, he being Jesus, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, about 30 years of age, and I wanted to pause here just briefly uh, because this is a common question uh, that I'll get, or if you Google it or something like that, especially for new believers or people that are just studying the Bible, um, maybe in earnest at some point in their life. It's not an uncommon question to have, well, why was Jesus 30 or about 30? Like, was there significance to that? Is that something random? Um, why? Why not earlier? If it's the Son of God, I mean, we saw what he was doing in the temple earlier at 12, so why didn't he just get on with getting on, right? There is, and I could put this in a later, in a later point, because uh, it certainly has to do with uh, history as well, but I felt it fit a little bit better here. I mentioned that incident that we covered uh, uh, late in chapter 2 with Jesus in the temple, uh, but beyond that, we don't know anything else about his childhood. He lived in obscurity. Uh, he grew up in the small village of Nazareth. Uh, scripture tells us basically that he lived in subjection uh, to his parents and working with his father. And so we really have nothing of Christ's uh, childhood, uh, adolescence, teenage, or even his 20s other than that one incident uh, that we read about. Uh, in Luke, uh, late in Luke chapter 2, about Jesus in the temple. And so he begins his uh, ministry after his baptism, which we studied the last two weeks, and it says that he was about the age of 30. Now, uh, it's, it's good for us to know that that's not just random. Um, it, this was a customary age uh, for men of God to begin their ministries. If we look at different characters in the Bible 
Ezekiel began his prophetic ministry uh, at age 30. Joseph was also 30 years old when he became the prime minister of Egypt. David was 30 when he ascended to Israel's throne. 30 was also the age at which priests began to serve. And so Jesus began his public ministry uh, at an age that the people around him would have considered to be appropriate. Now, uh, genealogies were legitimately critical to the people of Israel. I know that you might have, maybe it's you, maybe it's a family member or something like that, where you, you want to go online and, and trace your family tree and all that stuff. And I, I know that that got a wave of popularity, at least as I recall, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And maybe it's still super popular, but I just remember it kind of ancestry.com and all of this stuff. Uh, for us, it's kind of a neat to know, neat, or it's kind of neat to know in, in the sense that, you know, when did my family come to America or something like that? Um, that's great information, but for the biblical audience, the, 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 the Jews in particular, genealogies were critical. Um, ancestry determined a number of things. First, the original division of the land of Canaan among the 12 tribes, you'll remember from Numbers. Uh, second, ancestry was also established, uh, also established the right of inheritance to property and all that went with it. So that would be servants, crops, buildings, etc. Third, ancestry formed the basis of the principle of kinsman redemption. So if a poor man was forced to sell his property, one of his near relatives was to purchase it. Fourth, ancestry played a role in taxation. You'll recall that earlier in Luke, Joseph and Mary had to return to Joseph's uh, ancestral city of Bethlehem to register for the census. Fifth, uh, ancestry determined one's eligibility to serve as a priest. And last and most important, uh, any claim to be king or messiah would have to be backed up by the genealogical records. Remember, as we've talked about the prophecies that, that foreshadowed and talked about the, the messiah to come. And that leads us into the second phrase, uh, as was supposed, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. Now, there is just a few words there, uh, but it actually brings up uh, quite a big conversation, as was supposed. It's a little bit odd language, as was supposed, uh, the son of Joseph. So what's, what's going on there? If you've, uh, well, we'll probably encounter that here in, in another month or so as we get closer to Christmas. But if you turned in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 instead of chapter 3 of Luke, you would see, uh, see what appears to be a similar list. Um, closer inspection would show you about 30 less names and then the names from Jesus uh, down to Joseph or so only have a couple matches, and from there, it gets a little bit more consistent. And so uh, there is differences between Matthew and Luke's genealogy. Uh, that has caused some questions uh, in biblical scholarship, um, and honestly, that could probably be a Bible study thing because I would not want to do that for an hour up here. Uh, but I do want to give you some high points from that. 
Um, we need to remember that each biblical author is writing specifically to, to, to certain audiences. And so uh, there's going to be certain information that you'd convey or want to convey to one audience versus another. And so Matthew wrote primarily to the Jewish people, so it was natural for him to begin with Abraham, the, the father of the nation of Israel. Uh, Luke's approach was more universal. Remember uh, in our introductory messages to this, Luke's big emphasis is on inclusion of, of everyone, Gentile and Jew. And so he was concerned to present Jesus as the son of man and to demonstrate his solidarity with the entire human race. So therefore, he took Christ's genealogy all the way back to Adam. Other differences may be considered more significant. Luke identifies Jesus' grandfather as Eli, while Matthew calls him Jacob. That's odd, only two removed. Why that? Luke traces Jesus' ancestry through David's son, Nathan, while Matthew traces it through his son, Solomon. And finally, while the names from Abraham to David are identical in both genealogies, except for a part that Matthew skips, all but two of the names from David to Joseph are different. Now, there's several explanations for this, but the one that I find the best explanation and through my study, uh, the, the consistent or consensus opinion of, of most theologians uh, is that the differences in these genealogies is that Matthew records Joseph's, Joseph's genealogy and Luke records Mary's genealogy. Uh, this view is also consistent with the purposes of the two writers. Uh, as I noted a moment ago, Matthew's desire to prove Jesus' legal claim to the throne of David led him to include Joseph's genealogy, because that would be the legal way in which you would do that. Uh, Luke addressed a broader, largely Gentile audience and thus gave Jesus' actual physical descent through Mary. Uh, the genealogies in Matthew and Luke establish beyond doubt that Jesus was a descendant of David. So as we trace those back, uh, this is not even disputed in our text by those in the Jewish leadership or religious system that would have been Jesus' enemies. This isn't disputed. And so if we trace it through Mary's lineage or Joseph's lineage, we arrive at the same result and that Jesus is a descendant of David. And you'll recall from the prophecies, this was a requirement uh, to be the Messiah. And so by tracing this lineage and, and seeing clearly on either side that he came from David, he's eligible to be the Messiah. And so this would have been a very important thing uh, at the time of Christ. Uh, finally, I wanted to draw attention specifically to four names that we see in that list. Um, I had an interesting conversation uh, with a sister in Christ last week where one of the rabbit trails uh, was about themes and subjects that we find in the Bible, and, and it was, and it was a, a rabbit trail about 
If I read about a theme in the Bible that's there like 20 times, and I read about a theme in the Bible that's there once, they're both God's word, right? All scripture. Which one would we tend to give more significance to? Probably the theme that we read 20 different times, right? Well, that doesn't mean that we're necessarily diminishing the one and propping up the 20 because we're just choosing to. God has chosen in his word, in this fictitious example, uh, to magnify um, those 20 times of that same theme versus the one. And so what I'm saying here when I say four primary names of meaning and significance, I am not trying to say that the other names and the list of 72 are less significant and going against everything that the first 10 minutes of my message was about, okay? So I just wanted to kind of give that uh, qualification or clarity. But I do want to draw specific attention to these four, God, Adam, Abraham, and David. And the reason that I'm picking those four is that the names in the genealogy here, the, the four that I have listed, sum up. Uh, the person of Christ uh, as we know him, at least in in a concise fashion. As the Son of God uh, by creation, Adam bore his image unspoiled, unpolluted, and uncorrupted until he fell into sin, right? That sin marred the image of God that he was created in, and so none of Adam's descendants were true sons of God in the same manner uh, that he had been before he sinned, all right? So everything changed after sin. So Jesus, in his humanity, we, we, we have learned and we will continue to learn as we go through Luke, uh, was a man as Adam had been before the fall. So fully human, but sinless and perfectly bearing the image of God. Uh, Jesus was the son of God in his deity, Uh, We talked about uh, at least two or three times over the last several messages as being one of the same essence as the Father uh, as well as the Holy Spirit. As the son of Adam, Jesus was fully human, fully human. That's not something that we probably think much about, uh, but that would have, as we said when those topics came up a few weeks ago, this would have been... Uh, a, a crazy thing to the original audience. And because he was fully human, uh, you might recall Hebrews 4, verse 15. It says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was fully human, uh, like you and I. Uh, otherwise, in the Bible, it would be called as a son of Adam in that regard. As the son of Abraham, you'll recall the promise and the covenant that that, uh, God made with Abraham. Jesus is the seed that was promised to the patriarch. This is a culmination of that promise. It's in Jesus that God promised Abraham the blessings of land and that all people right, would be created through him. And so there's significance in Abraham's name there. Uh, David, the son of David, uh, you'll remember 
John the Baptist, when we studied him, as well as some other connecting verses, the son of David is critical to the Messiah, critical to the Christ. It clearly says uh, that the son of David, this Christ, this Messiah will reign forever and ever. And so this, this Messiah, this king-to-be would have to come through David's line. I wanted to end here. It's rooted in history, ready for tomorrow. Rooted in history, ready for tomorrow. And I had bullet points for this. I don't know if they were good or bad, but I deleted them before I sent my slides to Walter. I'm going to come back to this. Rooted in history. The name on that tombstone, your name, my name, is rooted in history, yes? A father, a mother, Grandfathers, great grandfathers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. rooted in history. You might know some of that information. You might know some of that history. Some of that you might be proud of. Some of that you might not be. I came from a history of fill in the blank. We're rooted in history. We're rooted in our family, in our genealogy, and all that comes with it. But as you and I sit here today and that, that, that number on the other side of it isn't written yet, our history, our rootedness in history makes us ready for tomorrow, makes us ready for the future. We can hang on to history. We can hang on to the past, hang on in in bad and, and, and not good ways for ourselves to those struggles or my grandpa this or whatever. Or we can pull the things out of our history that is the foundation that we stand on and make us ready for tomorrow, make us ready for the future. We're still writing that story, aren't we? And so we should look back. We should be rooted in our history. We should know our history, the good, the bad, the indifferent. But we should recognize that all that is 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 a stage setter for what comes next. What comes next for you? I mean, as I look around, I'm assuming that most of you, I would call a brother and sister in Christ. You know the Lord. You've called on his name. But if you haven't, what comes next? This thing's getting written whether you want it to or not. 
And the Bible clearly tells us that we get to spend eternity in one of two places, with him or without him. Which path are you on? Which path are you rooted in and continuing to work towards? So if you haven't come uh, to that place in your life, uh, figure that out, ask questions, talk to people. What's holding you back? For those of us that are Christ followers, what does the path look like that you've been leading? One of obedience, one of pursuing Christ, one of renewing your mind, Romans 12.2, or one of continuing to lead a life and a lifestyle that if we held the mirror up, this is the only mirror that matters. We'd be unhappy with that reflection. We haven't written this story yet fully. And so, again, we're rooted in the past. We're rooted in right now. But what, what's coming next? What's coming next? I want to challenge you this morning Uh, Even with a passage like this, as we reflect on these names and their historical significance to uh, Jesus' being Messiah and and, and how that impacts everything that comes forward, and, and just ask those simple questions to you. Are you ready for tomorrow? As we worked through John the Baptist the last few weeks, Uh, you'll recall him saying that we should have the fruit of repentance. Do you see those things in your life? Are they evident to you? Are they evident to to those around you? Be sure to stay up to date with the latest information at lscc.tv. While you're there, click on Connect to find a way to get more involved at LSCC or learn about how to put your talents to work in one of our ministries. If you've been blessed by this podcast and call LSCC home, consider supporting LSCC financially by going to lscc.tv give. Big or small, every gift helps us in our mission to love God, love others, and be the church in our mission field, near and far. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you back next week.